0: Hey, pull up a chair.
1: It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy.
0: The evacuation of thousands of people from Cumbull is going to be hard and painful, no matter when it started, when we began.
2: It would have been true if we had started a month ago or a month from now. There is no way to evacuate this many people without pain and loss of heartbreaking images you see on television. So, Robert Gibbs, that was the president of the United States on his third or fourth uh, effort to uh, explain what was going on in, in, in Afghanistan. Uh, good to see you. I want to say to everybody, including our buddy Bill Crystal, who's standing by here. I had a little oral surgery this week. I'm hopped up on painkillers. I'm offering that as a disclaimer for anything I say uh, during this uh, during this podcast. But it strikes me, you guys, that there are a lot of people in Washington who would like painkillers right now. This has been a terrible week. You mean you're not just talking about your oral
3: surgery now? You're talking about writ large. Did you expand writ large?
2: uh, Yeah, (laughs) writ writ, writ large. I feel. I mean, Bill Crystal, you're a veteran of the White House. Uh, Whatever you think about what happened. I watched Jake Sullivan on Sunday, uh, you know, on some of the Sunday shows. I barely recognized him. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, his eyes were sunken. Uh, he was sallow. And it's very clear, you know, that he is absorbed, uh, you know, totally in trying to trying to navigate through all this. And I'm sure everybody there is doing the same. And, it, you know, anyone who's been in the White House knows what that's like. Um, it's it's a not, it's it's a terrible, terribly difficult feeling.
1: Yeah, it seems like they have pulled it together a little bit over the last 48 hours. We're speaking, what, midday Tuesday, and I'm hopeful that we get a lot, all the Americans out, obviously, and then a lot of Afghans and do so without, you know, it's going to be messy, as the president said, but without uh, disaster. I'm worried about the deadline on August 30, 31st. I mean, it wasn't my preferred policy, but to be fair, the president ran on it, and I do... I am somewhat bewildered why they didn't in the four months since April, was it 14th that he announced it? They didn't organize better to think through how do we get the civilians out, not just the military, how do we mm-hmm. get the Afghans out, not just the Americans, how do we handle the possibility of the uh, army and the government falling apart faster than than we expected and so forth. But um, and it feels like this is the Biden administration's, they do this a fair amount. They don't do a great job on the first iteration of a policy and they don't always get perfectly organized ahead of time on something, but they do. A, B, they don't like criticism, <laughs> and um, as I've heard from some people, and I guess you guys must know. Hear this too? Yeah, might have gotten and, a call or two. And and C, they do react though. They do adjust. I would say they don't stick their head in the sand. I don't think, in general, and so some of the things you can't make up for. Unfortunately, if if some Afghan translator is not in Kabul and is in hiding or is being persecuted by Taliban as we speak, that's not something you can make up for ahead of time. Maybe some of it couldn't be stopped anyway, but they do adjust, and I feel like and the military is pretty good at this too. Once they see okay, this is the situation, and I'm 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 a little more hopeful than I was two or three days ago.
2: Yeah, Robert, that's that seems to be what they're banking on. Um, uh, you know. Uh, I saw Ron Klein uh, tweeted out the announcement that thirty seven thousand uh, people have been evacuated, which is a, a substantial uh, number. And you know the, David Sanger said once someone in the administration told him, you know we're 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 going to be judged by what happens in the next two weeks, not the last two weeks. And uh, that's you know, I think that's that's there beyond the obvious moral yeah. and well, strategic obligation to 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 pull this off. I think as a political matter, they think that, that that they can get some redemption if they get it right. I'm not entirely sure they're right on on how this is gonna be judged.
3: Generally the, the I, I think we'll know I don't think we'll know the final grade for quite some time. Um, but I, I you know, I, I agree with Bill. I think credit where credit is due. I think that number now is even even north of the number you gave back. So i think we're above 50,000 people evacuated and i think they've done it in an extraordinary amount of time but also to bill's point on the organization of this now you're beginning to see stories of you know o- our overwhelmed base in 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 Qatar, uh having to absorb all of these uh evacuees and to some degree uh afghan refugees and one had to wonder if if you knew this was coming to Bill's point, um, you wouldn't have been overwhelmed at the place where you needed to put the people because you would have known how many people you needed to get out and when you needed to get out. So I still think there's some real troubling questions around the evacuation of this. And if you look at the NBC News poll, 25% of the public had confidence or supported his handling in Afghanistan. Now, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, we don't have to quibble about whether twenty five is good. But in,
2: fa- in fairness, plus or minus
3: four,
1: <laughs>
3: right? So to your point, X, it could be as as high as twenty nine percent of the people. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I, look, I think to me, the the politics of this, particularly in in its impact in, of Biden, is not going to be on whether or not it's popular to leave Afghanistan. I, I still think it 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 is. Yeah, I think people can before leaving Afghanistan um, and feel badly or disapprove of how we're leaving. I still think the danger to him, as we've talked about before, is there's a series of traits he ran on to be president, right? He was going to provide calmness, not chaos, right? That empathy, he was going to be an empathetic president. I think we all agree that he has been. And and probably at the core of it, that there was a, a level of both foreign policy expertise and competence that would be infused again into the Oval Office. And I think that's, to me, the real danger for the Biden team right now uh, in the short term is the hit that it takes on that. I think if you look at approval ratings over the weekend and the public polling, Afghanistan isn't weighing heavily on that. It's COVID and other things that I know we'll get to. Um, I think to yeah. me, it's the values and the traits that that Joe Biden wants to be thought of as that are the real
2: potential challenges mm-hmm. right now. You know on this august 31st date uh, bill, I don't exactly understand how we arrived there. maybe maybe you do, but deadlines seem very treacherous here and now he's be, he's been in a vice today because our European allies We're strongly supportive of extending the deadline. Apparently, the president uh, sent Bill Burns, the CIA director, who's really a tremendous diplomat, uh, to talk to the leader of the Taliban in uh, Kabul yesterday, presumably to see about extending uh, that deadline. And, uh, you know, judging from the fact that the president now says we're going to stick to the deadline, that meeting didn't go uh, particularly uh, well so now, you know, this is quite a task there they've taken on here to try and in the remaining days of August uh, get everyone out, uh, including people who are not in Kabul uh, and they need to get out of the country. It's um, I, I don't exactly understand why they set up that test. And maybe it's to get out before the 9-11 anniversary. I, I don't know. But um, they could they could come to regret that.
1: I've got to think he's also, maybe we'll slide that deadline when it really comes to it. Because look, the most important thing, obviously, both from a moral and political, humanitarian and strategic point of view is how it actually comes out, not just in a week or two, but in a month or two or six or 12. And if, if to the degree that we look as if because of a truly arbitrary deadline what does august 31st have to do with anything it was originally going to be september 11th sort of a suggestion incidentally, which biden seemed to think was a good idea to make it on the 20th anniversary of 9 11 which i do think shows a certain i mean he's deeply believed in this i understand getting out of afghanistan for a while but i think he has a certain tone deafness to how that the whole enter the whole effort which is broadly popular everyone likes ending long wars but how he's always been a little tone deaf on this particular how the withdrawal could also have negative consequences certainly in the world in my opinion but also you know here domestically uh, and how it feels to people um, and it's a thing one does with regret not with kind of stubborn you know affirmation that I'm doing this you obviously he's doing he thinks he's doing the right thing and he's entitled to make that he, he, he has made that case and will make that case anyway I think holding you to the deadline would be. A mistake. It's it's, a, it's such a self-inflicted wound. Letting the, t- the Taliban can try to bully us to stay with that deadline, but we do have some leverage over the Taliban, obviously. We have six 7,000 troops there and other assets. And so I think making sure we get out more people rather than fewer, obviously we can't get out everyone we'd like to, and, and there are going to be bad stories over the next weeks and months. But in terms of the overall effect of it, as I think Robert suggested, how does this look six months? What's the longer term grade on this? just in the real world, even leaving aside domestic politics, there's a wide spectrum in my view of outcomes. It could end up being something that I'm not, I don't know that it'll be a great day, good thing in any case, but something that doesn't do much damage to us in the region, doesn't do much damage to us in the world, does end the long war, uh, does it in a way that at home people feel like we did our best and tried to do the right thing by the people who helped us and by our allies, or it could have all kinds of, there's a whole spectrum of then possible outcomes, which are considerably worse. Both strategically and and morally, and in terms of how it plays at home, frankly. So, I, I hope he's not driven by some short term. You know, I said August thirty first, and therefore I have to stick to it. I hope also he's aggressive. I don't know what you guys think about this. You've been in the White House and dealt with these uh, refugee issues and yeah. immigration issues. I mean, I think he's got on the high ground both morally, but also politically on these refugees. It's one thing to, I mean, I'm pretty liberal on taking in refugees anyway. And if they're from some civil war elsewhere that we haven't been involved in, these are, but these are people who aren't just, you know people would like to help. These are people who helped Americans and either helped American military or, or civil society organizations or media and stuff. This is a pretty easy case to make that these they deserve our help. They'll be good America, contributors yeah. in America. And I, I hope Biden's aggressive in making the case that we should take lots of them in and be proud to take them in and be confident of their future here in America. Uh, if they choose to be in America or in other countries, um, as opposed to sort of getting intimidated by Fox News demagoguery, and it's really terrible the kind of demagoguery they're now engaging in on, on this issue. So that'll be. And I don't. But don't you think the politics of this place has gone to could, hell since you could left help? There. Could help. Uh, <laughs> I I mean everyone's so intimidated on immigration after the last 5 years but yes. I actually think this is a good a good fight for Biden to have or or am I wrong It's a
2: no I don't know I think that's an interesting question you know it is in, incredibly dismaying you know, and I give actually Ben Sass was on TV over the weekend, yeah. and I thought was very uh, strong in defending the idea that we owe this to these people and we should welcome uh, them. But uh, I'm not confident. I, I I'd love to see some polling. You should make this decision on the basis of polling. If we don't stand by these people, then we have no credibility in the world, and we we've we've defaulted on a moral obligation. And you're right. These you know these folks are going to come and they're going to be contributors to our society. But boy, this anti-immigrant, anti-refugee thing has been so packed in for the last, it was so central to the whole Trump project uh, that uh, it'll be interesting to see how people uh, react. I don't know, Gibbs, what do you think?
3: No, I, I think it's going to be as you talked about fascinating to watch, I agree with both of you uh, and underscore a lot of what Bill said. I mean, I think there's, we we have moral obligations here. Um, and, uh, and I think quite frankly, if, if we're not, if we're not open and welcoming uh, in, in this case, I, I think the damage that it will do will be exponential to what you're seeing on television. Uh, because who, who, what what's the next group of people that's going to help American service members uh, or help our diplomats in places that we either don't understand uh, or have trouble communicating in? Uh, I mean, I think this will go a long way towards how we want to be seen by the rest of the world. I, I think the fault lines, as we've talked about, of, of immigration in our politics uh, have only gotten uglier and they get uglier each day. Uh, and I I I don't can't tell you how it all all is going to figure out because you know it's interesting Biden took great pains to discuss in that one statement he made publicly you know the degree to which all of this vetting was going to take place uh, you know which is smart we should certainly make sure that the people that are that are um, that we're bringing are are the ones that that have helped and we understand uh, a bit about them but I I worry about the ugliness of this. X, let me pick up on something that, that I think Bill touched on. You wrote a piece for CNN on this uh, a few days ago, but walk us through a little bit of where you thought Biden's mindset was as it related to both this decision and maybe a little bit of um, uh, his We're all reticent to admit mistakes, but this one seems um, you know, whether you're polling at 25 or 29% on your handling of Afghanistan, that's not a debatable set of numbers. Um, yeah. But he doesn't seem, um other than one line in a speech about a buck stopping with him, the White House does seem to take great pains in Biden, particularly to, to actually say they, they, they aren't really, quite frankly, uh seeing anything wrong with this. No,
2: listen, I, I said, I think he, he he bears the scars of past uh, history and debates you know you and i were both there we were witnesses in 2009 right. when he argued against the surge and uh, you know had some pretty heated exchanges with Uh, Bob Gates, uh, with uh, Hillary Clinton, with others who were on the other side of that argument, and particularly with the generals about what was possible. His view was that we should uh, have a smaller footprint uh, and run a counterterrorism operation. His point then, as it is now, is we went there to get uh, to rout al-Qaeda and to to bring to justice bin Laden and those who, uh, who attacked us. And it wasn't to establish a kind of you know, Jeffersonian democracy in, in, uh, in, in, uh, in Afghanistan. And, uh, and I think that. Uh, and and you know he took a beating from them publicly. Gates wrote in his book he's been wrong on everything for the last forty years uh, on, on foreign policy. You know you remember that General McChrystal was fired because his staff in front of a reporter were ridiculing Biden and McChrystal, who I have uh, a really high regard for by the way, but didn't say anything, didn't do anything. So that became an issue and 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 he got fired for it. This so Biden, I think there was a. You know, in Biden, he's, he, there was an attitude that I'm the commander in chief now. I'm going to end the war that we should have ended when I said we should have wound it down. And, uh, I'm going to, you know, and, and I think he was very defiant about it. And I think it got in his way here, uh, because you did have to separate out the principle of getting out from the execution, which by the time he spoke was clearly not going well. And part of leadership is to stand up and say, This hasn't gone the way it should have, and we're going to fix it, right? You know, and I, you know, and that's he—he didn't do that, and all week long he kind of repeated his his mantra about uh, you know uh, the forever wars and ending the war, and he was right and so on. Uh, So I think he was hurt by that. I think he diminished his argument by being so insistent without acknowledging the other piece, which was the planning and execution kind of uh, you know seemed to outrun his uh, ambitions to, to, to end the war. So, uh, you know, as, as Bill has said, as you have said, um, you know, we move forward now and we'll see how this unfolds. It is extraordinary to watch the U.S. military uh, in action here um, and, and, you know, catch up uh, and make up for lost time. Um, you know, and we all have to root for them. And you know, I'm rooting for him. I want this I want this to be a uh, a, a seamless as well it can't be seamless, but I want this transition uh, to work. Um, but just rhetorically, I think he he was hemmed in by his own sort of history and and it hurt him in this instance. This may
3: be emblematic, I think, a little bit of what you talked about, Axe. I mean, I think Biden's sort of stubbornness not to admit a mistake here, I think, has prolonged the coverage of the mistake and not really brought us to a discussion about whether leaving Afghanistan uh, was the right thing to do. I thought that we're going to play a clip here from an interview over the weekend. Martha Raddatz interviewed uh, former chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Mike Mullen, who... I thought this interview was, um, first of all, it's, it's gutsy. Uh, it, it's reflective. Uh, you, you don't really see that happening a lot in, in the decision-making process, but Mike Mullen, who, as you mentioned, acts was, was in all those situation room meetings and, and, and pushing back on what Biden was saying and, and trying to convince and did convince President Obama to surge troops there now admits, that Biden was right. And, and let's listen to a little of that sound.
0: What I thought we could do, uh, and I advised President Obama that, uh, uh, accordingly, is I thought we could turn it around. Obviously, I was wrong.
2: Yeah, and he's expanded on that. But first of all, I have a, a really high regard for Admiral Mullen. I think he's a very thoughtful uh, uh, and committed uh, person. And um, and yeah, that was it was striking, though, that he... And, you know, frankly... The ability to go back and say, yeah, we I thought uh, my, my expectations were wrong, I, uh, is part of leadership. <laughs> you know, it's part of leadership. All right, hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. And now a word from our sponsors. You know, Robert, one of the things that I so dreaded when I was growing up was being nauseous. I just could not stand it. But, you know, one out of three Americans regularly suffers from nausea. We've all experienced that horrible feeling, whether it's in the backseat of a car, staring at your phone. And, you know, you can speak to this after one too many on a night out with friends or even just the anxiety of a work day. Nausea can ruin a day, force us to change our plans, and in the most severe cases, nausea can make us unable to function. And for those of you who can relate, we've got some good news. You've gotta check out
3: Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband, and has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, Morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug free, non drowsy, provides all natural, long
2: lasting relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. This fantastic technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to the masses, to all of us. How it works is Relief Band stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea, and then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you are sick. Yeah,
3: that sounds like a great uh, solution. There's nothing I hate worse than... Trying not when I'm driving, but when I'm a passenger in a car trying to read something on a phone, oh, it almost always happens to me.
2: I remember, I wish this was around when my kids were small. My youngest was, we always had to stop during a trip so that he could get out of the car. (laughs) And throw up, you could set your clock to it. As you're getting ready to take that summer road trip, as a matter of fact, hopping on the boat or you're just anxious about heading back into the office, we've got good news. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for Hacks on Tap listeners. Uh, not to suggest that you get nauseous when you listen to us. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code HACKS, you receive, get this 20% off, free shipping, and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee.
3: So head to R-E-L-I-E-F- b a n d dot and use your promo code hacks h a c k s for twenty percent off plus free shipping.
2: Bill, you're a you're a, you're a famous iconic neocon. You're being awfully quiet over there.
1: No, I mean, I look, I respect Mike Mellon, and I've argued with him actually both about Iraq and Afghanistan, where he was very skeptical of the surge, actually, you know, in 07-08, which I think worked pretty well. I think he's, I hope, well, look, we all have to think about this and debate this and look at the history carefully. I would argue that the surge worked pretty well in the sense that we got things under control. We then gave up the, really, the lead fighting role in 2014. Uh, and I think would argue that the the situation of the last five or six years has been okay. And incidentally, a lot was done in those 20 years. It's not nothing and that and whose legacy lives on. Uh, and whether it could have lasted another five years, this is a big debate now, of course, whether the status quo was was, ten, was unsustainable or not. But I, anyway, those things are hard to are never going to be proven and probably not the most to something that historians are going to have to judge. I, I, don't, I hope we don't fall into a rhetoric of it was all, pointless and wasted and obviously foolish there were tough decisions were made by different presidents at different times um, and but going forward I just want to come back to this I do it makes a huge difference and this is where I hope people don't have the attitude of washing our hands of it because look if there is a slaughter in Afghanistan three months from now and you know throughout this country of everyone who not only cooperated with Americans but every woman who set up a school elementary school for little girls every person who tried to do something to advance the social progress in afghanistan all this stuff for the last week or two is going to be the the prelude to a really terrible, terrible situation. If that doesn't happen, if the Taliban decides it's not in their interest, if there's enough actual progress that's been made in Afghanistan, it's not so easy to do now what maybe they could have done 15 years ago. If they don't make it easy for Al-Qaeda to simply set up terror training camps and so forth and expand over to Pakistan. I mean, there's a lot, there's a big variance of what's going to happen. So I think it's really important to this is not the end of the story in the real world at all in Afghanistan or elsewhere. And I think in that respect, whatever we think about what happened in 0910, and it's very interesting and you guys were in the middle of it. Um, we need going forward to have the attitude of, look, we do care what happens there. There's a range of outcomes which range from not great to really awful. We do care what happens in the region. We do care about American credibility. Yeah. And so it, it really needs, I hope the administration doesn't decide if maybe, let's let's hope we have a great next two or three weeks, get a lot of people out, relatively not too much uh, trouble. Well, uh, the Taliban doesn't go around killing too many people, frankly, and you know it's not too horrible. They can't just sort of heave a huge sigh of relief and say back to back to infrastructure, and now we're just going to focus on China. So it's an ongoing issue. I mean, I wonder you guys. I mean,
2: would- I mean, just on this point, uh, you know, one terrorist incident that was staged from Afghanistan is going to create a huge um, hue and cry. But we should, to your point, Mullen himself, and I think we actually have that tape, and maybe we should do a mashup of what Mullen said earlier, Robert, so we don't cheat him. But Mullen himself said, look, we went there to degrade al-Qaeda. We went there to bring to justice the the people who staged that attack. Um, We did achieve those things. His argument was that we should have left when we got bin Laden, that we should have wound down the operation then.
0: You've also heard President Biden say, look, we should have gotten out 10 years ago we should have gotten out after they killed osama bin laden you were there when they killed osama bin laden you were the chairman should we've gotten out then i think in retrospect yeah we should have i don't think it was possible for us to just abruptly walk away right after we killed bin laden but clearly we could have gone earlier than we did as i look back uh, and in a lot of people are critical of the president right now The president biden had it right back then he was focused uh, singly on counterterrorism, and his advice was along those lines, and he certainly said that. Um, and I give him credit for that. Did the mission fail? I think complete failure, no. Clearly taking out bin Laden was a huge impact in terms of uh, al-Qaeda and what was represented there. I'm not inclined to to just lay it on, yes, it, it was a success, or or it was a failure. I think we're somewhere in between.
2: What is striking is the society in Afghanistan is different now than it was twenty years ago, and there, you know, just the defiance, the the, the activism of women there, and so on. Um, it's inspiring. Uh, you know, the 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 issue was how much how much can we were we willing to invest in continuing that in perpetuity. And how much more would we actually have to invest moving forward? Because Biden's point, I think, it's probably true that we weren't going to get by with twenty five hundred troops. I think one of the lessons, though, and I think what Mullen is alluding to in a
3: lot of these, in the in the sort of excerpts that he says in this interview, is you know, and it's why if you look at sort of where the American people are on these wars, they're they're regardless, and I I totally agree with you, Bill. I think there's a lot, you know, our standing in the world, our moral. Uh, uh, our our moral obligations, all that stuff. A lot of that stuff's on the line. I think, unfortunately, and I think we all bear some responsibility for this. If you look at the presidents that that generally talk about war, and this goes <laughs> this goes way back, right? Uh, this is sort of in, in our history. Uh, you know, we we tend to think that you can kind of gloss over or um or, or maybe say that things are going better than they they really are. Uh, and I think when the American people see what's happening on television and their leaders tell them they're turning a corner, they're turning a corner, you know, or I think what Biden really thought was, I'm, I have no doubt that they sat in the situation room in, in March or in April and and some members of the military tried to get him to change that date. M- my guess is that that Joe Biden said to himself, I've heard this lobbying yeah, campaign totally. before. I've heard it before, and I, I've he sat in that room for eight years as vice president to President Obama, and heard that you know things aren't going great now, but next year things are really going to change. And I think, look, I, I think as we we wind this down, I think it would be good to reflect on the whole twenty years uh, of the war on terror and figure out you know whether it's historians or whether it's some sort of commission that kind of looks through. The, the the things that went well and, and the the things that we did to degrade um, the capabilities of people that wanted to do us great harm and the things that we didn't do well, I think it would be an interesting examination to educate the leaders that are going to come next. I'm not suggesting that everybody has to be Winston Churchill, um, but a, a real dose of, um, of reality rather than um, creating something that doesn't exist, I think... Goes a long way to keeping the American people involved in that success.
2: Yeah, here's a reality. I'm not sure that Americans care that much. I mean, that's 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 the reality, well, you know. And uh, it was reflected in that NBC Wall Street Journal poll that you mentioned because they did word clouds, you know, about you know what was uh, what was most important to people, uh, and Afghanistan was not on it. You know, it was on it. COVID was on it.
1: I agree with everything you said. And I, and I think it's, I mean, I, God knows I got things wrong and the people I followed and trusted got things wrong. I would say one also has to put in that equation just on the substance for a second. Pakistan, which you guys yes. are in the White House remember very, people being very worried about that. Pakistan's the dog that didn't bark in a certain sense for the last decade. Messed up place. Not a government I admire. They double, you know, double dealt with us in Afghanistan in a pretty terrible way. On the other hand, we don't know what happens if we get out in two thousand ten to, to, to terrorism in Pakistan and loose nukes and so forth. So you just have to have a comprehensive. Well, we we look don't, by of, the uh, way, know that now. Making it all in judgment on these things is complicated. But, you know, on the politics of this, I have a slightly contrary view just on the Americans not caring. I mean, 750,000 Americans uh, served in the military in Afghanistan. Um, some of them think it was unwise. Some of them, prou- they're all proud of what they did. But some yes. think it was a foolish endeavor and others think not. Um but I do think this is where the ref- I come back to the refugees and helping those who 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 helped us or who stood up you know courageously there. I've been struck just personally. I'm sure you guys have been in touch with people too, people who are you know I'm trying to get this my former translator or the wife yes, of a yes. former translator out. And can you put me in touch with a member of Congress or someone in the State Department who's more on top of this who can help get this person on the list? And and I've done just been a middleman on this a little bit over the last two weeks. And these are not coming from people inside the Beltway or at least right. Or whatever. These are coming from people who served and are now yeah, scattered all around absolutely. the country. And that's in that respect, I think on the refugee issue, I that's one reason I think the politics, the polling is interesting on that. I think this is not like taking in people from a civil war somewhere whom no we've never dealt with one way or the other. Right. People if you're if you're good hearted and think we're a huge country and can afford to, you take them in. Right. If you're sort of don't think that's a good idea. You don't want to take them in here. I really think, and I think Biden should take advantage of that, honestly, uh-huh. politically and isolate the most nativist and really bigoted elements of the Republican party against just half the party. Ben Sass, a lot of the veterans in Congress, Kinzinger and others uh, have a much, even the conservative veterans in Congress, Dan Crenshaw, who have been bad in other, in other ways, in my opinion, are saying, no, we got to help these people. So I hope yeah. he's aggressive in, in, in doing that.
2: I agree with you. And we should take a moment just to say, a word about the splendid young men and women who served and sacrificed so much. Robert and I both had the opportunity to go uh, with the president to Afghanistan and to Iraq, got a chance to meet some of these young people. Uh, and, you know, they, they were just so impressive and uh, in their in their commitment. And, uh, you know, so I, I'd never want I'd never want to denigrate their efforts and uh, and and uh you know they they were called on to serve and they did and their commitment to those who have been left behind is is uh is moving and it should be persuasive as you say uh bill and now a word from our sponsors
3: hey ax let's face it shopping for car or home insurance is complicated complicated. I I hate it. Yeah, you could spend days looking up hundreds of different providers, scrolling through thousands of policy options. Uh, And let me tell you, I hope you and all of our listeners have way better things to do with your time than Google a lot of insurance companies or dodge phone calls from overly friendly customer representatives. Nobody wants to do that. And even then, it's hard to know if you're getting the best price and coverage for your particular needs.
2: That's acts where the Zebra can help you. The Zebra is the nation's leading insurance comparison site for car and home insurance. In other words, they do the shopping for you. In just five minutes, you can compare quotes from every major insurance provider side by side for free all from one independent marketplace. The Zebra pairs people with the insurance company that's right for them, delivering quotes with the coverage they need and saving them an average of $922 on home and car insurance combined. That's a lot of money. Yeah, buy online or over the phone with
3: one of their licensed insurance agents. The Zebra is totally independent with no stake in the policy that you choose. Shop car insurance without shopping around. Get all your options in one place by visiting thezebra.com. .com slash hacks.
2: That's thezebra.com slash hacks. Because we are hacks on tap, the hacky point is people are worried about what's close to home. I mean, one of the legacies of the longest war ever is people are very focused on on what's going on at home. And there's plenty to focus on, uh, with this virus. The interesting thing about this poll is Biden's lost some altitude in terms of his standing, not because of Afghanistan, but because of COVID. Uh, and, uh, there was one slide that Chuck Todd, uh, showed on Sunday that should be really concerning if you're sitting in the White House. This is the, uh,
3: the worst is behind us and the worst is yet to come slide, right? No,
2: no. This is about where independents are. Because, uh, you know, Democrats are basically sticking with Biden. Republicans are st- basically sticking with the anti-Biden position. But among independents, p- people who identify themselves as independents, uh, Biden's approval rating has gone from 61 in April to 46 and on COVID from 81 to 52. Uh, And with that, uh, their congressional preference has gone from plus 14 Democrat to plus one Republican. Those are numbers, if I'm sitting in the White House, I'm concerned about. And, you know, so if he if he is in a if he feels like he's in a bit of a vice on this Afghanistan piece, you know, COVID as well. I mean, we you know, we we thought we were headed in the right direction. Uh, Now, Dr. Fauci was on yesterday I guess at first he said he thought we would be nor- returning to normal in, in the fall of 2022. He revised that to the spring when he was asked about it later. But that is, you know, that is a long time from now in the lives of people. And we're going through all the issues about schools now. So we're not where we want it to be, whether people blame him or not. I, I can think of some politicians who I would blame well before I got to Joe Biden. On this, um, but he's he's there, and he and I think that is that's a real source of of concern, or or should be.
3: I thought the numbers you were going to talk about, acts. I've got them in front of me, you know, to to give some sense of the pessimism surrounding where we are right now with COVID. In April, the poll asked the worst. You know, do you believe the worst is behind us or the worst is yet to come? And in April, sixty one percent said the worst for COVID was behind us. Just 19% said the worst was yet to come. In this poll, 37% now say the worst is behind us and 42% say the worst is yet to come. So th- th- this <laughs> it's an uphill climb. I mean, and we've got hopefully uh, hopefully the, the announcement yesterday that the FDA has cleared through its normal channels. Um, the The Pfizer vaccine um, will take some of those that are hesitant or had been hesitant because of just the simple emergency maybe. Use, use authorization. Um, maybe you know, I, I do think the one um, maybe only bright point of this surge in COVID has been um, an uptick in the number of people that have gotten vaccinated. Uh, last week there were three days of over a million people being vaccinated yeah. for the first time in almost two months.
2: Yeah, because they're scared. But uh, I got to tell you that the people who've been resistant are also people who really don't believe in the FDA. They don't believe they're being told the truth. They don't believe in Fauci. They don't believe in, in. in oh, I mean, at least a, a solid core of those people. And you got politicians who've been pandering to them. I thought it was pretty interesting over the weekend that Trump tried to tell people to take to 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 get the vaccine and he got booed at his own rally i mean how often does that happen he's created this monster now that he you know that has over overrun him
1: yeah he gave a mild endorsement of the vaccine and then if you watch the clip i did see it he he gets begins to get booed and he sort of backs says, well i mean look uh it's a free country people should do what they want i i happen to get it you know so that's like the level of (laughs) which shows how bad it is in the in those fever swamps which unfortunately is not not you know it's a quarter of the country or something like that i mean i would say i do think i so just on Axel's first point sarah longwell my colleague has done a bunch of focus groups pretty consistently over the last six eight months and uh some of them with uh you know uh, Trump Biden voters or people who swung you know in 2016 mm-hmm. 2020 um and she saw a real erosion in the last couple of weeks among those voters of confidence in Biden a uh, sense that the administration was on the right course and it was um, it's hard to disentangle of course what's causing that but I do feel like I think Biden's been right you know, 95% of the time on COVID. And he's not to blame for what's happening in Florida and Texas, which is appalling Republican uh, governance by Republican governors and other Republican officials and Fox News propaganda and so forth. Um, but you put it together and the, between Afghanistan, a little bit of, oof, boy, I thought these guys were experts in foreign policy. And then Gee, I thought we were going to have like a great Labor Day where everyone's back to normal, schools opening unproblematically, offices, businesses. And instead, it's a little bit of a, you know, is it safe for the kids in the elementary school? And I hear the teacher and, and should we make all the staff be vaccinated? But then the governor says you can't um i don't know that biden could have done much about that i always think the democrats should have been more aggressive and should be more aggressive in actually going after the people who are causing this terrible situation but that's a, not for biden maybe but for others to do that uh, but i think the combination of those two things and then a little bit of chaos in washington and the normal you know hiccups of an economic recovery and so forth has gotten people in a less good mood and that's what leads you from being a what you know 56 42 approval disapproval to a what fifty forty seven? What well, fifty forty no, no, eight?
2: Less, I think he's basically about even, close to now. even. And yeah. you
1: know, again, does that matter? And it can go back up. These things bounce around. Right. You guys went through this and uh, several yeah. times. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I do think there's been, been some erosion.
2: Ron DeSantis is not a guy i th- I feel who sits around, you know, late at night alone with his thoughts thinking about what the right thing to do for the people of Florida is. I think he's someone who sits around late at night thinking, what do I got to do to get to become president of the United States? And how do I stay right with the base and so on? But is it possible that um, that for him, for, for him and Abbott, these are the right political moves that uh, I mean, it's really hard to imagine They're, I mean, they are disasters in their state.
1: I would argue that that's the case. And there's some data that suggests that. There's some polling showing DeSantis now trailing possible democratic nominees and um hard to know how you know how it might be at the height of the uh, things going badly in Florida so it's not necessarily going to be the case a year from now but again I think putting you know they, telling the truth about what the da- the damage they have done and I mean real damage like death and illness and also yeah. disruption of the school year and so forth and disruption of small businesses and people's plans and really hurting the country I think we'll come out of I mean we'll come out of this because at some point the whole country's either going to have had the vaccine or have had COVID. And at that point, it will, and it could, be that could be a month or two from now, I'm a, people, public health people I've talked to, are, they're pe- very worried about the short term, but they think medium term, we probably mm-hmm. get through this. Uh, but uh, obviously, we'll get through it somehow or other. But um, I think putting the responsibility where it is and not let it being some kind of mishmash of, I don't know, everyone seems to have made mistakes. CDC made some mistakes and FDA, why don't they have the drug for five to 12-year-olds? The administration probably needs to look Uh, And is being very aggressive. I hope they're pushing very hard on on the uh, vaccine for the for the. I'm sure they. I'm sure
2: they'd love to shift the conversation back to this and away from uh, away from Afghanistan. But I
1: think they do need. I think some people need to hold these guys responsible down there. And and I actually think people have been and everyone's nervous. You don't want to, you know, they're nice people who are hesitant to get the vaccine. You don't want to impugn their motives and all this. Maybe what's happening though in real time in. Houston and Dallas and and parts of Florida is going to and Alabama will cause some rethinking and also cause some broader rethinking. I think here in Virginia, just anecdotally, when I say one reason I'm for Terry McAuliffe is I, is that Youngkin yeah. has said he wants to follow DeSantis's lead on. Uh, Covid policies, and I say I prefer the policies we have in Virginia to what's happening in Florida. People do have a sense of yeah, that's right.
2: We should note for people that uh, in a historic break, <laughs> Bill crystal has endorsed uh, Terry McAuliffe. Yeah, which worries me governor. about
1: McAul. I know, and now I feel like McAuliffe, of course, who's ahead by five points, it's probably going to kill. It's going to you know now he's now he's doomed. And uh, oh I God. noticed
2: that that uh, <laughs> Young Youngkin's uh, spokesperson called you a grifter. Yeah. And uh, some friends of mine in Chicago immediately called me and asked if you'd be interested in running for alderman uh, <laughs> in Chicago. So I'm just passing that along. Uh, Thanks.
1: I appreciate the vote uh, of confidence passing, there.
2: <laughs>
3: passing that along. But I think this is a very short term bet by the DeSantis and the, the Abbots of the world. Um, Abbott up for reelection uh, shortly. DeSantis clearly positioning himself. I, I do not think the politics of this long term are at all good for either of these two. I mean, I think there's a reason why, many reasons why the suburban voters that were Trump voters left. Uh, I, I think the, the 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 pandemic was a big reason why. Uh, and I think the actions of Trump during the pandemic were a big reason why. I don't see how this plays long term. I, and I do get worried, you know, th- those comments that Trump made, he made in Alabama, uh, my home state, which is literally being ravaged by the pandemic. There are not um, ICU beds available in, in most places. Um, and the younger, you got younger and younger kids showing up at hospitals sick and it's scary. Um, and I do think it's going to be, it's going to, you know, mention Terry McAuliffe. Um, you know, he was out yesterday as, as Biden was really pushing businesses to, to, to lean into mandating that their workers get get vaccinated, and I would like to see that happen with more businesses. I would like to see that happen with more um, more schools. I would like to see more teachers uh, have to get vaccinated. Um, you know, I, I I think you have a hard time telling me that a teacher um, who's going to stand in a school,
2: particularly with kids who don't have the option to get vaccinated, where to get vaccinated. Polling is pretty clear on this: on mask mandates, on requiring vaccinations. So they you know, the the majority of Americans are there. The question is, what subsection of America are they looking at in the short term for their own political futures? Let's take a short break and hear from our sponsors. Gibbs, you know what I love? What's that? I love to sleep, man, and I don't do it that well, so. I am thrilled, thrilled that I now have a Helix mattress. You know the deal where we sponsor things, they send it to us, you get to try. I say, okay, I'll try this mattress out. Changed my life. Wow. Yeah, and Susan likes it too, my wife. So I'm really, really excited about it. Well, Helix Sleep has a quiz
3: that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else, Axe? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. And I have to say, Axe, if you're telling people that you're sleeping well, let me just take
2: it from me. That's saying something. Everybody's unique, and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. I'll just leave that there. Mattress is great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. And even a Helix Plus mattress for plus size sleepers, I will not tell you which one I got. But I took the Helix quiz and I was matched with the model mattress fit me because I wanted something that felt medium and I sleep on my side and move around a lot at night. And they said, here's the mattress for you. So if you're like Axe and you're looking for a mattress
3: Go take their quiz, order the mattress that you've been matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again.
2: Yeah, it's incredible when it arrives and it's in a box and then you open it up and... It's a cool thing. Helix is awesome, but you don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine and David Axelrod, by the way. Helix has been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving sleep. So if you want the mattress and the cool sound effects
3: that David just gave you, go to helixsleep.com hacks. Take their two-minute quiz. They'll match you to the customized mattress that gives you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but we think you will. Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep
2: is never far away. And Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com hacks. That's helixsleep.com slash hacks. You know who else probably could use some painkillers this week? Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi, who uh, is trying to threaten, uh, trying to thread the needle, probably threaten too, but trying to thread the needle here and get the two factions of her party together to try and advance the two big pieces of Biden's agenda, the, the infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill. And, you know, uh, uh, it is, as we speak, I mean, I guess there are intimations. Josh Gothheimer, who's the leader of this moderate group that is rebelling uh, against the reconciliation bill, uh, or at least moving it together with the infrastructure bill, said, We're close to a deal and so on. But it just speaks to how, if I were her, I'd want to get the hell out of there. I mean, it's just so hard with this three-vote majority. And, you know, you just get extorted at at every turn. I assume, you guys, that she's going to get this done because she's good at it. But she's struggling more than I've seen her have to struggle in a really long time. Uh, to try and keep this thing together. And, you know, the thing I don't understand is if I'm a Democratic legislator, now maybe Gothheimer, who comes from a wealthy New Jersey suburb, uh, wants to be seen in this light. But if these bills were actually to go down, that's a disaster for Democrats. That's a disaster for Biden. You want to go into the midterm empty-handed? And say we had a chance to do something about infrastructure. We had a chance to do something about child uh, child care. We had a and and but I I didn't like the sequencing, so uh, so we just killed the whole thing. Seems insane to me. Yeah, it is.
1: I mean, I it's your party. It's your party and maybe not quite yet mine, I'd be a little faster coming over if I didn't see these things (laughs) happening more up close and and with a more sympathetic eye than I used to and thinking, geez, what is going on there? I think it's nuts too. I mean, it's perfectly reasonable to say, when we get to reconciliation, I'm going to be for a much narrower reconciliation bill than the Biden administration suggested. I think it's too much money. That's kind of the mansion position. But to actually – threatened to bring down the rule and to totally bollocks up the the house and and deliver a defeat to Biden and Pelosi on a sequencing question, which whether she was wise or not to go with the sequencing in the first place, she's the speaker. She's They've decided to do it. Biden's behind her. So there's a certain... Maybe you're not aware of this, the Democrats, they do have a slight tendency to, you know, manage to turn what looks like a pretty good situation. I mean, they get this infrastructure. They get 19 Republican votes, including Mitch McConnell, for an infrastructure bill in the Senate, which is a pretty big government bill that they should like and want to run on. And they've now totally overtaken that story. With squabbling in the House over the sequencing of infrastructure yeah. and reconciliation, it's it's an it's an accomplishment by the Democrats. You got to say, you know, <laughs> we
3: should warn you that uh, we've never described ourselves as an organized political party.
1: Bill,
2: <laughs> I don't know exactly that whether your old tribe is an example of coherence and uh, cohesion either. But no, so, no, yeah, I mean, I think what it reflects is that the progressives, of which there are more. Uh, at least more who are willing to say we'll tank the thing. They are mistrustful of Manchin, of cinema and so on. Uh, and everybody is leveraging to try and get as much into this, this reconciliation bill. So we'll see. I mean, I still continue to believe this will get done. I cannot imagine. They are going to let it not get done and the and you know but it'll be fun to watch pelosi navigate this because she's better than anybody at it and you said bill i don't know why she did the sequencing thing she does what she needs to do to try and get things done this wasn't an ideological position no no, I, i'm
1: saying she made the judgment and whether it was you know maybe she could have done it slightly differently i have no idea but no i think she knows what she's doing and at the, some point if you're i mean josh gottheimer i mean i'm whom i know a bit and uh I don't know quite what he's up to, honestly, but you cannot, I mean, the party as a whole, you guys went through this in '09-'10. I mean, and Clinton people went through it in 92, 94. You need to win on your big issues. When you take over, when you win the presidency from the other party and win Congress, both houses of Congress, one of them at least from the other party, and you happen in this case to have particularly narrow margins, Uh, you've got to win on your biggest priorities. And the party has to understand on this, that they rise or fall together. And no one's going to Josh Goddard is not going to win in New Jersey if the whole Biden administration is in shambles and the party looks like it's in disarray and they didn't get stuff through. I think so he can make his little point here and tell people in northern Jersey that he's fighting hard for the salt deduction for the extremely wealthy people he has in this district. But at some point, he has to make sure, they have to make sure that they – that they succeed in general as a party in governing the country. And I totally agree with what I think one of you said before, too. It's important that Biden succeed. I mean, it's kind of important for the country that the Biden administration be a successful administration.
2: Or I wonder, Robert, whether there's some point, and it may be right now as we speak, and he's looking Pelosi in the eye, uh, whether Gottheimer says, holy shit, I'm out here on this high wire, and I better figure out a way to get get down from here because it's a long way down. Well,
3: and I think well, that's what I mean, it, you know, by all accounts that the the real discussion between Pelosi and the these now 10 House moderates didn't really begin until yesterday because I think she thought they'd realize they were marching themselves into a corner in which they were not likely to get any real tangible benefit from. And to 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 the point that all of you have made and and she made in the caucus, it is mutually assured destruction to not get this done, uh, and to Bill's point, you, you, Josh Gottheimer is not going to win because everything is in flames. But somehow he got a tax deduction for state and local. I mean, it's just it's it's insanity. Look, two things: don't bet against Nancy Pelosi because you're going to lose your money. Uh, and secondly, I, I think you're seeing it now happen. They're likely to pass a budget rule that allows for the consideration uh, from the House on this infrastructure bill before the 1st of October, which, by the way, they need to do or there won't be any infrastructure projects because there won't be any budget for it. Um, Now, does that mean it has to happen? No, because as you might guess, a bunch of progressives could say, yeah, we're not voting on that yet. So I think Nancy Pelosi handed him a small fig leaf with which to go back and say they got something when in fact classic negotiating
2: i think she gave away very little the subtext of all of this is that how big is that reconciliation bill going to be that's what this really is about and for some of these suburban uh, democrats what how are you going to fund it and are you going to you know they're less as bill said amenable to you know taxes on well-to-do people than some of the other members. That's the subtext of all this. Everybody is looking at the bottom line on that reconciliation bill and trying to impact on it. The uh, the the progressives are trying to prevent mansion and cinema and some of those uh, group uh, the Gothheimer group from shrinking the thing down. Uh, those guys are are uh, are trying to keep their option open in order to shrink it down. That's what this is all about. But what we're all about is. So, Bill Crystal, Eric asks, I really feel that the timing of the Syrian refugee crisis and the ISIS attacks in Europe helped to make Trump's message of xenophobia and anti-leftism really stick in 2015. Should we be worried that an Afghan refugee crisis coupled with the videos of al-Qaeda back to openly training on monkey bars will breathe new life into the xenophobic nationalist camp here in America and in Europe?
1: I mean, I think we should worried first. Be worried first that what happened in 2014 happens now in Afghanistan or conceivably Pakistan. Which is, you know, we pulled out of Iraq in 2011. Things were okay for a couple of years, and then by 2014 we had this terrible ISIS, ISIL, you know, Islamic State, and we had Americans being killed, and God knows, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of Iraqis and others being killed, slaughters. We had to go back in. Uh, there was also, the, having not intervened in Syria, we can debate about that for for, for five or six hours, but um, we then ended up with a terrible Syrian and mostly Syrian refugee crisis in 2014-15, which then led, it was a genuine crisis, but then led to terrible political ramifications in Europe and ultimately here. I very much agree incidentally that Fox News showing the Syrian refugees in Europe in 2015 uh, made a huge impact Beyond the actual t- and the terror attacks in Europe and then the terror attacks here, which were not particularly connected to Syrian refugees, but which Trump lumped all together, the Muslim ban, and that led to Trump and Trumpism and all that. So that's a terrible sequence of events. And I worry quite a bit that A, there's, you can have a terrible sequence of events in the real world, as we did in 2014, 2015, uh, in the, because of Afghanistan, which would then lead to a terrible series of events in reaction politically. Uh, in in the West and in the U.S., I think the good, but I do think the Afghan refugees are different from the Syrian refugees, and this is where I think Biden needs to, now, though, to be pretty aggressive in explaining that this is, you know, we are proud to take these people. We're taking as many as possible. That's why I think, even from a political point of view, let alone a humanitarian point of view pushing to extend the deadline, deadline, not looking like we're, we got all the Americans out, we got a few, some Afghans, uh, Afghans but you know, we're not going to run a risk to get more out. I think that would be a mistake. And I think he needs to make sure in the real world that we don't have a 2014, 2015 type situation and politically that he uh, takes advantage, frankly, of the fact that I think Americans are very well disposed to the Afghans who, who helped us and who stood up uh, for principles we've care about and believe in and and help them and help them get out
2: yeah well i hope you're right again as we said earlier i i hope you're right we owe these people they put their lives on the line for us i have a different view on refugee issues generally being the son of one so uh but i in this case i think a debt is owed and a debt needs to be paid uh robert gibbs matthew Says, I am a young campaign manager managing my first state Senate race for a Democrat in the Bay Area. Yikes. We started off fundraising strong but have hit a lull since the summer months and are encountering crickets from the elected Democratic establishment. What would be a good time to call it quits so he can potentially run for another office in the future? Or would it be a good idea to soldier on until the end of the year? I sure hope his candidate doesn't listen to Hacks on Tap because it's <laughs> not going to forge yeah. a good relationship there. Maybe, maybe, we go ahead, should,
3: uh, maybe we should change the name there yes. uh, so that uh, – Maybe he already did. <laughs> if the, well, hopefully so. Hopefully so. No, well, a couple of practical things, uh, m- most of which is um, – Fundraising in the summer is never uh, a robust thing. I think every time I've ever seen a fundraising budget, um, you know, j- late July, mid to late July and August are not seen as months in which uh, a lot of fundraising contributions tend to come in. It's it's hard to get people to focus on um going to a fundraiser or giving money because they're worried about uh their summer and they're worried about all the other stuff that we talked about uh in in this episode. Uh in terms of the the establishment and and what you should do in the timetable, I'd give it a few more months in the fall. Uh see if your fundraising picks up. Uh see if your outreach picks up. See if you can convince others that your candidacy and the candidacy of your candidate is actually viable. But give it a few more months to figure that out. Don't just pull the plug right at the the end of summer. Give it a few more months uh, and see if you can't figure out a pathway to win. If you can at that point, it's honorable not to go on.
2: And since you addressed this question to Robert Gibbs, he will come out and do a fundraiser for your <laughs> candidates. Just uh, e- email your information at hacksontap at gmail.com where people should send their questions. And, and Robert will be out there with his sandwich board uh as sometime in the near future Uh, one thing to that young man when i see he's encountering crickets from the elected democratic establishment part of me says okay so run against the elected democratic establishment. I mean I I, I made a pretty good living doing that. Uh and I, I shouldn't I wouldn't be discouraged by that. But you don't want to be caught in no man's land where you're seeking the approbation of the democratic establishment. You're not getting it, and you're not taking advantage of being an insurgent. So uh I would th- think about that. You got one for me on the way out here? I do, uh,
3: Axe, when in the run up, this is from Jack, when in the run up to the 2010 elections, did you start to see signs that would be a tough one for Democrats? Were there early warning signs of the famous shellacking that went ignored at that time, uh, that
2: went ignored at the time that Democrats should look out for now? The God's honest truth, Jack, is I can tell you the exact date I had this conversation. And Robert Gibbs was in the same room when we got briefed on the economic situation, December 16th, 2008, when we were told what we were going to face, because the country hadn't yet totally come to grips with the depth of the economic crisis. And it was such a jarring presentation, so depressing. As we walked out of the room, I turned to the president-elect, Barack Obama, and I said, we're going to get our asses kicked in the midterms. Because the economists said, there's no way that we're going to be fully recovered or even close to it by 2010. And that's a leading indicator beyond which we had won a lot of seats in Republican-leaning areas that we really had no business holding. So the combination of those two things made me believe. Now, the depth of it, I think we lost, what, 63 seats? You know, I, I didn't, I didn't forecast that, but I really thought we were going to get our asses kicked. One of the reasons why I announced five months before that election that I'd be leaving the White House after the first two years was that I knew that there would be a parade leading me out of town if I didn't leave on my own volition being the political guy in the White House. So I had a very strong feeling that it was going to be very tough. And I don't have that feeling about twenty twenty two but I do have a very strong feeling that it's going to be challenging for Biden just because of historical headwinds plus redistricting much as we had to deal with in two thousand ten. So Democrats have have a real challenge ahead of themselves, but uh, hopefully not a sixty three seat challenge. I don't even know if that's possible anymore and as polarized as we are as a as a country. So I think we took care of flipping that yeah <laughs> there <laughs> there you have it, Jack. All right, guys. Well, a lot going on, and uh, we'll see how this all unfolds. Bill Crystal, newly minted sort of demi Democrat.
1: (laughs) It's good to be with you. Buttigieg had that good phrase during the campaign. Uh, He wanted to reach out to Democrats, independents, and Future former Republicans, <laughs> and I've been I've been using that phrase for about a year, year and a half. But as someone pointed out to me the other day, you know, there's only so long you could be a future former Republican. At some point, yeah. you have to yeah. bite the bullet. To, yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Well, maybe when you take over the McAuliffe administration no, that'd be, uh, in Virginia, right. that would be the appropriate time.
0: There you go.
1: Come on in, Bill. The water's fine. The water's so-so, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But better yeah. than the Republican side right now. I, I don't, I don't quarrel with that.
2: You're going to start off by lying to him, but anyway. <laughs> All right.
1: Good to see. Good both to see you both. Guys. Thanks, guys.